Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. And good evening. I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning show in our 13th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Hey, good evening. I'm Cornelius Wright. In today's broadcast, you'll also hear about news and events of interest for the African American community, all in the next hour on Bring It On. But first, the first Baptist church was established in West Boughton Springs, Indiana in 1909 for the African-American community, many of whom worked at the West Boughton Springs Hotel. The Reverend C.R. Parrish served as the first pastor and was also one of the founding fathers. Land on which the building stands was acquired in 1909 from Lee W. Sinclair, owner and operator of the world-famous West Boughton Springs Hotel and president of the West Boughton Springs Company. Now, now, I'm going to pause right there. Am I saying that correct, West Boughton or West Baden? You could say it either way. All right, I don't want to jump ahead, but West Boughton, we're going to get proper tonight. Okay, let's right. do it. Okay, well, I'm, I, I'm going to do... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're going to say West Baden. <laughs> Mr. Sinclair's interest in having the First Baptist Church built was to accommodate the many black waiters, maids, porters, chefs, and other hotel employees who came to West Baden Springs from Kentucky. North Carolina, Tennessee, and other, and other southern states. In 1992, the church was donated to the West Baden Historical Society. As the last surviving member of the church, Mrs. Dorothy Smith signed the deed, which converted the church and its property to the Historical Society. The West Baden Historical Society is making progress toward the restoration of the First Baptist Church. When restoration is complete, it may be used as a museum, performance and meeting space, and a wedding chapel. Now, Liz Mitchell, longtime Bring It On contributor and producer of the award-winning Dark Past, Bright Future, is here to elaborate more on the West Baden First Baptist Church Renovation Project. She and a host of volunteers are part of this grand restoration effort, and she joins us now to inform us on progress to date and other impactful community projects that she is involved with. Liz, as always, welcome to welcome, Bring It Liz. On. Welcome, Liz. Well, thank you. Hello, Bloomington community. Well, let's talk a little bit about just what brought this whole project into fruition, first off. Well, you know, um, this church was listed on the most, uh, Indiana's most endangered list. Mm -hmm. And the moderator for the Southeast District, uh, Reverend Turan, he and Pastor Bruce Rose, uh, Turan is in Evansville, Pastor Bruce Rose is here at Second Baptist Church Bloomington. The two of them went to a meeting in West Baden and said that they would like to see the church renovated and become a church and put a congregation in there. I guess there was another couple that was there that wanted to turn it into a private residence. The community wanted to see it as a church. They had tried and attempted a couple of times to uh, save it. They put a uh, restored the basement and the foundation and then they put a new roof on it and trying to help, and that's about as far as they went. Mm -hmm. And so they were really pleased to see someone come in and say, we want to restore this church as a church, first and foremost. And then after that, 
what else can it do so the doors are open to the community and become uh, useful in the community in as many ways as possible. So that way we would like to, and of course it's up to the congregation that goes in there, but we would like to see it partner with the museum, who's virtually run out of room, to maybe put storytelling in there. One person acts. Um, uh, we would like to see uh, weddings. That while we were working on the church, a young girl stopped by with tears in her eyes, wanting to come through and see the church in hopes that she could be married <coughs> in the church. So we're thinking it'll be multi-useful. The doors will be open to the community, and everyone in the community has been overwhelmingly nice, uh, happy to see the progress on the church. We've made more progress than any other group that had attempted to work on a church, and we're extremely happy. And I'm excited to see the first service take place. Now, I know going down last year, um, it was just basically a barren building. The inside, it was just looked like it was gutted. Mm -hmm. What is it looking like now? Oh, it's unbelievable. Like you said, it was gutted. You could stand inside and see outside without opening a door and not looking out the window. That's the shape it was in. Mm -hmm. The bell tower is completely done. The bell is ringing. We have, we're saving the church pews. They're being redone by a master craftsman from Cook's. Um, the bathrooms, the walls are up for that. Probably, if not this week, next week, that everything will be installed in the bathrooms. The walls have been redone. You know, we had to tear all that out. We had someone come in and... Uh, Put in the insulation, put the drywall up. It's been prepared, sanded, painted. That's all done. The chandelier has been ordered. It is being paid for by a gentleman that wants to honor his parents. So he's pay he paid for the chandelier. Uh, we've got wall lights that are coming in, all replica of the 1900s. We want to keep everything in theme with the mm -hmm. early 1900s. Uh, the Amish are going to be doing the floors. We're going to have to put a subfloor in. We have uh, bids on putting in a little bit of carpet down the front. Um, it has just been, if you were there last year, Cornelius, and saw that, to walk in now, you would be amazed what the volunteers have done. Our volunteers are awesome. But more than that are the people who have donated to make this happen. Without them, the volunteers would be sitting, but they don't have to sit. And we've got volunteers who are retired guys who know what they're doing. They're committed on their own dime. They come down there twice a week, and it's, it's just a blessing, and it's an awesome thing to see. Seems like a wonderful way to get the community to, to come together and get galvanized around a project. Uh, Two, two quick questions. Uh -huh. I recall maybe a year and a half ago, there was there was this ornate st uh, stained glass window. Yes. And it was heavy, too. It was, yeah. And I just want to make sure the thought was <coughs> there was a desire to incorporate it in the renovation. It was was that successful? It's successful. Good. It's good. in. Okay. It's a done deal. Because that, had, that has a story all its own, too. Yes. That was uh, donated from a young lady that I met um, 
during when Resilience put the first play on. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to donate this gorgeous stained glass window that I believe is even older than the First Baptist Church in West Baden. And we kept saying, no, go ahead and sell it, because we knew the value. And she said, no, I really want this stained glass to go down there in the West Baden Church. And I contacted Pastor Rose, and he sent a group of men down there. We took a look at it, and it is up. It is gorgeous. It's going to be lit from within. Uh, We had a man from Bloomington, an electrician that did all of the work, and it is absolutely gorgeous. The last time I saw it, it's mounted on the wall, Mm -hmm. and Deacon William Brown was redoing the paint, and he had it all taped up and and all painted, and I tell you, it's just, it's gorgeous. For for our listening audience, I I don't think you could really get the scope of this stained glass window. It took about eight to ten of us to get it to the door. Yes. We had to cut the door open, literally. We had to cut the door open to get this huge piece of stained glass through. It was probably a two and a half hour ordeal just to get this glass into church. So I have to go see what it looks like now myself. Yes, yes. You'll you'll be amazed <clears throat> when you see it. Well, uh, I want to go back to um, we were reading the intro. Uh, to this segment, and um, Lee Sinclair was owner and operator of the world-famous West Baden Springs Hotel. Mm-hmm. And there's something rather interesting. It notes that he wanted to create the First Baptist Church or wanted this church to be a place where the black waiters, maids, porter, chefs, and other hotel employees could go and work, or go and worship, rather. Uh, at, its, at its height, how many members uh, did uh, the Reverend C.R. Parish um, Oversee, or, or how many members were there at the church? Well, let, let me give you a little background history of this church. French Lick had built the first hotel, and he was in partnership with, uh, with another man, and they kind of fell out. These two wealthy men kind of had parting of the ways. So then a hotel was built in French in West Baden, which, you know, they're a mile apart. French Lick had its employees at the French Lick Hotel. They had an A&E church there, a Baptist church, Dunbar School, the Babylon for entertainment. And then when Sinclair took over the West Baden, he really didn't want his Now, the terminology at that time was colored. He didn't want his colored help to go down to West Baden, I mean, to French Lick. So you had these two towns with a little bit of rivalry. He wanted his colored people to have their church. So thus, for a dollar, he sold them the property. The parsonage was a little home next door. Those people sold them that property. And... Without an architect, the bellhops and waiters and people built this church. Uh, I'm in the process with a friend of mine, my dearest friend. We are trying to locate exactly how many members were in that church through descendants. And we found a couple uh, of people that we know for sure that were in that church. I would say probably 90 to 100 members. It's a small little church. And once we have it renovated, 
that's about all that's going to fit in there. We have people fighting already for the front first row whenever we have our first service. And are there naming opportunities, say pews or family naming opportunities? In the building? We have not gotten to that point. To okay, because I could see people that. Uh, being very we interested. We do have a that. lot of people who are interested in being members of the church. Okay. And someone is interested in being the pastor of the church. All right. Now, now let me ask you one other historical question. Uh, Dorothy Smith is yes. noted here as the last surviving member of the church to sign the deed, uh, which then transferred it over to the Historical Society down there, West Baden Historical Society. Is Mrs. Smith still living? No, she's not. Okay. Her nickname was Shorty Joe. She was <laughs> married to uh, Artie. Every, uh, he was with the fire department. Everybody in the community loved this couple. They were childless. They did a lot for the community. They bought the Wadi Hotel Mm-hmm. from George and Nan Waddy. Mm-hmm. It was the hotel for the coloreds. So when you got, when the train came in to West Baden, the colored passengers got off first, and then it went a few feet to let off the uh, white passengers. Now, mind you, these were well-to-do people who came from all over the country to come down to French Lick and West Baden to partake of the mineral waters and and the spa. So the Wadi Hotel for coloreds had all the same amenities, uh, amenities mm-hmm. that <clears throat> that they had for the white customers. Joe Lewis was their famous customer who came down every spring to train. And someone told me that when he would go to sleep, Artie would chose would uh, say, "Hey, you want to see Joe Lewis?" And he would charge people fifty cents to open <laughs> up the door, <laughs> so they could peek at Joe sleeping. Don't know if that's true or not, but that's just some <laughs> of the things that I've heard in my research. Now, on another historical note, after she sold the deed back to the historical society, it's come present day. Didn't they resell it back to the church for a, a dollar once again? A dollar. Here we have that dollar story. Um, Sinclair sold the property to uh, his waiters and bellhops for a dollar to build a church. And the Southeastern District, which Second Baptist is a part of, again, a dollar once we've renovated the church. Well, this is uh, has all the makings of a of a feature film, uh, and that may be in, in, in the vision a little bit further down the road. Uh, Liz, you know, it's, it's kind of rare to get you. You are so busy, number one, to get on your social calendar is a major coup. But you accommodated us today, and there are a couple things we want to talk about in the time we have you here. Uh, and we could come back to the church, but uh, you are so busy. Um, while you, when you were last here, you were talking about Martinsville, and that was sort of a combined conversation with uh, other individuals and you didn't get a chance to really elaborate on a lot of your uh, research findings concerning Martinsville. And, um, you know, we're all about progress and, and forward <coughs> thinking, you know, hence the name of your segment, Dark Past, Bright Future. So if you could share with us some of the other uncoverings that you made uh, while doing research on Martinsville, let's take some time to do that. But, but if you could also just kind mm-hmm. of, and not any incidences in, in, in specific, but just a little bit about the historical context of Martinsville, its history, and some of the perceptions that may be true and not true. Well, let's just start. Let's just say, first of all, on paper, Indiana was a free state. 
on paper, okay? So free blacks escaping slaves made their way through Indiana, and they were not welcome here. And so wealthy whites made sure that they brought their slaves with them and they forced them to sign indentured servitude papers. I know of five cases, two men and three women, who said no, and they sued for their freedom and won. One Gladys portrayed was Mary Bateman Clark. There Gladys was, Devane. She portrayed Mary Bateman Clark. Mm-hmm. Mary Bateman Clark was in Evansville, Indiana, and sued for her freedom and won. Another lady was Polly Strong, sued for her freedom and won, and uh, another lady by the name of Elizabeth. And then there were two gentlemen that did the same. So we know that free people and slaves, uh, free people coming from the North Carolinas following the um, the Covenators and also the Quakers came through and made a lot of settlements here. Martinsville was no different except that there were free blacks that did come to Morgan, Morgan County. And at one time, believe it or not, let's say 1850s, they had the third, third highest population of blacks, more than Bloomington, than Monroe County. Marion County was number one. Owen County, Spencer was number two. And number three was Morgan. And what year was this? This was 1850. And let me tell you, the reason is, is because of the jobs. People want for their children a better life, and they want jobs. In Martinsville, they had the mineral springs. Mm -hmm. They had spas. And they had two spas exclusively for coloreds. And so these are some of the surprising things that I found out about Martinsville. Now, just one question. Mm -hmm. You mentioned how there were three women and two men who sued for their freedom. Was there any reason why more people didn't try to do the same thing, seeing that these five cases were won? Did you find anything out about that? Well, you know what? Uh, Once that started happening, there were different laws that were passed. The lawyer that helped them was ran out of Indiana so that he could still breathe because they threatened to kill him. And then some of the wealthy people took their slaves back across, took their people back across the river to Kentucky so that they could still have that that free labor. So you had a lot of little things. Um, One thing, there's no pat answer for anything because people could do what they want uh, with their property or if you were fortunate enough to escape. And one of the routes came through Bloomington. A man by the name of John Reed was one of the first black settlers in Martinsville, just south of Martinsville, bought property, was farming. Some of the escaping slaves from Bloomington made their way to Reed's farm. And from Reed's farm, just south of Martinsville, went on up into Mooresville which was a large Quaker population up there. Let me, let me add one other thing to your, to your point, Cornelius. One of the reasons why a lot of other indentured um, <coughs> individuals didn't pursue that route, remember, there was no 24-hour news cycle. And news was at a snail's pace. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, some papers perhaps never got the coverage or would not print that particular news uh, for fear of Reprising, encouraging other, yeah. encouraging others to also take uh, uh, similar action. But you know, today we t- take a lot for granted. I take my smartphone and instantaneously see what's going on around the world. Back then, it might be six months. You remember, tense Juneteenth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. June it took years. Yeah. It yeah. took years. Yeah. So, but that's fascinating because. I would have never have, as they would say, thunk that that would have taken place in Morgan County and that Bloomington was more um, inhospitable than, say, Morgan County. Uh, well, was it that or was it the jobs? Well, they had jobs there. They had the spas there. Let me give you another, some more background history. Um, Indiana, you know, was admitted into the Union December the 11th, 1816, as a 19th state. Morgan County was established in February of 1822. The earliest report of blacks in Indiana was in 1746 in Vincennes, Indiana. In 1787, the Indiana Constitution prohibited slavery and involuntary servitude in the Northwest Territory, which Indiana was the Northwest Territory. In 1816, the Indiana Constitution clearly prohibited slavery and involuntary servitude, but nothing to give blacks their civil rights. So blacks here in Indiana could not vote, serve in the militia, and could not testify against whites in court. In 1851, uh, Article 13 of the Constitution, no Negro or mulatto shall come into or settle in the state. Now, you heard that, Negro or mulatto. In case you are confused about that, Indiana had a law in the books from 1818 to 1965. The definition or classification of a Negro or mulatto, regardless of their skin color, eye color, hair texture, any person having one-eighth part more of Negro blood is a Negro. 1965. Yes, sir. From 1818 to 1965. So just in case you're unclear about what a Negro or mulatto is, so that was on the record books. By 1851, Section 2, they set fines if you violated Article 13. And those fines, then they had a ruling for that. In Section 3, the fines provided money that would defray the cost of sending blacks from Indiana to Liberia. And they would give a black person $50 to get out of here. For those who are just tuning in, you're, you're hearing some compelling history from Liz Mitchell, who's a longtime Bringing On contributor and producer of the award-winning Dark Past, Bright Future. She's been elaborating on a variety of things. She's already talked about in the earlier portion of this uh, conversation, the West Baden First Baptist Church Renovation Project, and now she's bringing out some uh, pearls of historical uh, significance uh, concerning Morgan and Monroe and, and surrounding counties in southern Indiana. Uh, back in the late 18, mid to late 1800s. Uh, mm-hmm. Go ahead and continue. 
Okay. Uh, as I said before, free blacks and escaping slaves made their way to Indiana, but Indiana made it known that blacks were not welcome. Yet African Americans came with the Quakers and the Covenators. Black settlements were created throughout Indiana. You know, there was one in French Lick called Lick Creek, and there was one in Hamilton County called the Roberts Settlement, one over in Terre Haute, the Lost Creek. So there were black settlements you know, in all but four of the counties here. Between the years of 1880 and 1820, the federal government allowed squatters to select and improve farmland in Indiana. John Reed, a free man of color, and his wife and children staked out about 80 acres southwest of Martinsville. They got their land patent on October the 25th, 1820. Soon other African Americans followed with the surnames, and here's some of the names that were of black folks in Martinsville. Goss, Hollingsworth, Collins, Langford, Mitchell, and Hudson's. Morgan County is divided into 14 townships, and Martinsville is in Washington Township. African Americans lived in only four townships, with the majority being in Washington Township, which is Martinsville, Indiana. The 1850 census has 97 Negroes living in Morgan County. 1860 census has 109, and by 1880, there were about 150 living in Washington Township. So out of all those townships, Martinsville had the highest number. Now think of this, like I said before, Indianapolis and Marion County had the most. Spencer, Owen County, the second highest. Martinsville, the third. <coughs> so by the yeah, by the nineteen by the nineteen hundreds, one hundred and six blacks lived in Morgan County, and out of that, forty nine lived in Martinsville, possibly because of the employment in the health spas, resort business that was thriving in Martinsville at that time. Well, hence their uh, high schools. Uh um, yeah, the Artesians. They're mm-hmm. mas- well, not mascot, but uh, yeah, their nickname yeah. is the Artesians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the the spas and the sanitariums that opened up. The first one opened up in about 1888. Within 10 years, there were six facilities uh, created with artesian wells. Between all the years 1890 and 1930, 13 result- resorts had sprung up catering to the working class and individual political leaders and the wealthy from all over the world. Everybody came. So I would go to a sanatorium. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know know about, well, tuberculosis, you would probably go to a sanatorium, Mm -hmm. right? And if I had, say, respiratory issues, including tuberculosis or polio, um, other communicable type Diseases, I would find myself if I had wealth and means in a sanatorium if primarily to get sort of uh, sequestered and mm-hmm. uh, sort of uh, quarantined and just let the sunshine, the air, and this, this Rest, mystical water the water heal yeah. me. <laughs> That's okay. what, yeah, right. yeah. And so, as I had mentioned before, there were two that were exclusively serving the colors in Martinsville, Indiana. Their services included the mineral baths, vapor baths, Turkish baths, so Swedish massage, which you'd probably like that right now, wouldn't you, Courtney? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and physical therapy. 
physicians were usually on staff, so all of them had doctors on staff. Now, Willis Clark, who owned one of these uh, spas for coloreds, he had been employed at the Highland Sanatorium and went into business just because he knew that black folks wanted the same services that white people did. So he built an addition onto his house, which was at 140 North Main Street. He was told by a white businessman that if you do pretty good here in your home, I assure you I'll build a hotel with bathrooms and everything you need and lease it to you. And that's what happened. So he did really, really well. And uh, a facility was built for him. It was called Clark's Sanatorium with hot and cold mineral baths. It was advertised in the Indianapolis Recorder in February of 1902. It was open all year round. And it was a wonderful experience for rheumatism and other stomach troubles. Whatever your troubles were, just come and we'll help you out, is what they said. Now, I have a question. Uh-huh. We have these, this wonderful facility. Who was running it, white people or black people? He was the face. And the money was behind He was making money. But, of course, once it got established from his home, then white businessmen backed him to build a bigger and better place. So, of course, he had to pay them back. But I guess my question is... So he had the face. I guess my question is, who was who was giving the services to the black men blacks. and women? Okay. Oh, blacks. Oh, oh definitely. <laughs> yeah, whites weren't touching blacks. Oh, no. Well, 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 not, when, in the, not in those days. Right. When did, when did all this sort of change? When, when you, know, I, you know, there is this there's a perception that the city of Martinsville is overcoming mm-hmm. and, and it has been hard. It's, it's been long fought and strides have been made, but listening to history, you would think then how did we get to the point we're in now? I mean, did all of a sudden, was it the resurgence of the Klan or other such groups that pressed, that pushed all this away or, or, or well, what's you know, gradually when jobs dried up and this happened in French Lick, and West Baden too, people had to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there just wasn't employment, and the people that did work in these spas, even in Martinsville and even in West Baden and French Lick, they had good paying jobs. They sent their kids to school. They lived fairly good for that time. They were living good, and so. When those jobs kind of dried up, they had to move on to find ways of making a living. So one that they were forced out, but they just made the business yeah, decision, the, the economic decision yeah, to yeah, move on. Yeah, yeah. That goes contrary to a lot of prevailing thought, and I'm so glad you you pointed that out. We've got about three minutes, uh-huh. and again, like I said earlier, it's it, to get on your social calendar is a coup and, and we've got to check with your husband Jim and all that we got to send letters yeah, check with three weeks in advance all that. <laughs> you're also involved in a another thespian project uh, yes in your, in your other world you are I'm surprised the other week you didn't get the Academy Award for something but you did and next year <laughs> she's going to be going up against uh, uh, Black Panther, Black Panther absolutely yeah. Tell us I'm what, what <laughs> tell us tell us what you're doing now, uh, so that we can uh, inform the, the Gladys Devane, Daniel Bruce, and I we have formed Resilience Productions, and we are the Resilience Team, 
And our first play was for the Indiana's Bicentennial. We saw the need, put our stories out. Again, we see that need for Monroe County's Bicentennial. So the stories of Monroe will be unveiled in October at the Unitarian Universalist Church, October 11, 12, 13, and 14, four or five performances. Um, we are excited about the stories we're going to tell, and it's for Monroe County's Bicentennial, so it'll be for and about Monroe County, uh, starting back uh, before slavery, uh, during the time when the Underground Railroad was active. We're telling both sides of the story because Bloomington was neither hot nor cold. It was about in the middle. Mm -hmm. So you had the Underground Railroad, but you also had slave catchers here too. And then we're going to bring it up to date uh, after that, what happened in the 60s here with the town and the gown. And that's pretty much what we're going to do in October. Uh, and, and now we know why she's a Living Legend Award recipient, Cornelius. Absolutely. And, uh, so so when, is, when is the uh, production going to get started? When, when are auditions going out and all that good stuff? There, there's that a double meaning yet, in that question. Uh, yes, I know, you that, know that has yet to be determined because uh, our director, Daniel Bruce, would take care of that. And uh, so we meet right now twice a week, and that will be bumped up to almost every day. Uh, Danielle, uh, we will put the word out when we are doing holding auditions, casting call, and um, we're just really excited about the stories we're going to tell. We, we're trying to tell stuff that is little known or unheard of, okay. and that's what our job is. I want to make a quick plug so that everyone will know if you want to send contributions to the West Baton Church, we still need help financially. Mm -hmm. Make your checks payable to S is in Sam, E is in Edward, D is in dog, so it's S-E-D. In the memo line, please put West Baden Church Renewal Project and mail your check to P.O. Box 2205, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. No amount is too big and no amount is too small. Uh, we like our dime a day initiative. Send a check for thirty six fifty, but we'll take anything at this point. We are about halfway done, and we need a push to get the rest done. All right, we want to thank Liz Mitchell, longtime Bring It On contributor and producer, and the award-winning Dark Past Bright Future for joining us to elaborate more on the West Baden First Baptist Church renovation project, the history of Martinsville and the next chapter of Resilience. Donations are still being accepted to continue restoration <coughs> Excuse me, of this important piece of Southern Indiana history. Your tax-deductible donations may be sent to the West Baden Historical Society, uh, P.O. Box 284, West Baden Springs, Indiana, 47649. And on the memo line, you can put the West Baden Church Renewal Project and there's, a, there's another uh, P.O. Box. Let me redo that, please. Mm -hmm. The P.O. Box is P.O. Box 2205. That's 2205 Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. And to keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes <coughs> at WFHB, you're invited to like 
the WFHB Facebook page. Go to facebook.com and search for WFHB, or you can always visit the WFHB news website at wfhb.org slash news. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org.
And from the 1997 album, More Than a Melody, that was Stella Award-winning gospel artist Yolanda Adams singing My Desire. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Clarence Boone. And I'm Cornelius Wright. And it's time now to give you the latest perspective on the people, news, and issues affecting the black community. Uh, Leading off tonight, uh, we have some interesting tidbits. Many (laughs) of you over the weekend may have seen uh, this particular notation on a famous former running back from uh, Cornelius' favorite part of the country, uh, Mr. O.J. Simpson. Uh, Chris Dard made a comment on O.J. Simpson's 2006 interview, basically saying that he confessed to murder. Uh, Cynthia Littleton from Variety Magazine shares that in the view of prosecutor Christopher Darden, O.J. Simpson confesses to the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman in his 2006 (coughs) TV interview that aired Sunday night as a two-hour special on Fox. Twelve years after a public outcry forced the network to scrap an earlier plan to air the incendiary footage. In the 2006 interview with publisher Judith Regan, Simpson goes through a purely hypothetical discussion of what happened on the night his ex-wife and Goldman were murdered on the steps of Nicole Simpson's Brentwood condo. Simpson was acquitted of the double murders by a jury in 1995 after an 11-month trial that set the the modern template for a uh, media circus. The bizarre 2006 interview features Simpson speaking in detail, although couched as a hypothetical uh, account about his being present at the crime scene in June 1994, how he disposed of bloody clothes and other specifics of his actions following the brutal slayings. He repeatedly laughed nervously while discussing the shocking crime. And this article goes on and on, and of course, Darden uh, was featured on a special O.J. Simpson, The Last Confession, as part of a panel of uh, reactionary experts who who added his commentary and analysis, uh, saying that, I think he confessed to murder. If I know he said this in, in 2006, I would not have objected to the release of this video. I don't think there's any question of his involvement and that he is the person who is welding the knife. I'll stop there. What do you think, Cornelius? Well, uh, I thought he confessed to murder, and uh, Chris Darden went to school with my little sister at Kennedy High School in uh, Richmond, and I thought he caught a real unfair rap of the way he was portrayed and just the whole thing. But, you know, he better be careful because uh, your president will try to change (laughs) the laws to to make sure that O.J. gets incarcerated again, if he could. Well, then he wrote a book uh, entitled... If I did it. And this is the same, the person that wrote this book is the same lady that did this interview. It was all okay. in conjunction with trying to make money for okay. the book. So. Okay, well, okay, well, thanks for, for that correction. And then finally, he, d- he does the nine years in, in prison uh, for he and his posse going to retrieve items that were stolen from him, I guess, from his Heisman days or whatever. And now that he's been released from prison, if you were to advise O.J. Simpson, if, if you know, um, his attorney that got him off the hot seat is gone. Uh, Johnny Cochran. But but if you were Johnny Cochran channeling to O.J., what would you tell him? Lay low, stay off social media. Stay off social media and shut up. All right. So uh, there's no way to rhyme something to quit. But anyway, we'll just go off from there. I'll let you take the next one. (laughs) The barbershop study trimmed black men's hair and blood pressure. Marilyn Marcioni, uh, AP chief medical writer, poses this question. Trim your hair, your beard, your blood pressure. 
Black men reduced one of their biggest medical risks through a novel project that shows the power of familiar faces and trusted places to improve health. The project had pharmacists work with dozens of Los Angeles barbershops to test and treat clients. The results reported Monday at a cardiology conference have doctors planning to expand the project to more cities nationwide. There's open communication in barbershops. There's a relationship, a trust, said Eric Muhammad, owner of a, a New You Barbershop, one of the barbers who participated. We have a lot more influence than just the doctor walking in the door. Black men have high rates of high blood pressure, a top leading uh, a top reading over 130 or a bottom of over one of over 80 and the problems it can cause such as strokes and heart attacks only half of americans with high blood pressure have it under control many don't even know they have the condition churches beauty salons and other community spots have been used to reach groups that often lack access to doctors to promote cancer screenings and other services dr ronald victor a cardiologist at cedar cyanide medical center wanted to reach black men Barbershops are a uniquely popular meeting place for African-American men, and many have gone every other week to the same barber for many years, he said. It almost has a social club feel to it, a delightful, friendly environment that makes it ideal for improving health. And on that note, the Commission on the Status of Black Male each April holds its barbershop screenings, which will be coming up again this April, and we'll have more information as uh, leading up to that uh, going into April. All right. Uh, I saw on, on TV that someone had uh, did a feature, I think, on that very project. And they were saying of all places where black men can relax and be themselves and the receptive to this type of inter intervention is in a barbershop. Because, number one, they know that every couple of weeks they're going to be going there. And they said as a result, they, they listed some stats that were very encouraging how many took the initiative to get screened, how many followed up, and then how much uh, of the, uh, the blood pressure uh, stats were reduced the, from the dangerous zone down to more tolerable ra ranges and something like that. You, you, someone's thinking, someone is thinking, where do I go? to reach those who need to hear this information and, and applaud that. We had the best turnout we've had probably in 10 years. We have HIV screening. We have blood pressure, cholesterol. So I will give you more information and please come join us this year. All right. Well, everybody's heard this, but we'll just go ahead and repeat this. The AP reports that Tashala still rules the box office four weeks in, even with the fresh rivalry of another Walt Disney Studio release and, uh, entitled In a Wrinkle in Time. Uh, Black Panther took the number one spot at the North American box office with $41.1 million, according to the studio estimates Sunday, leaving another newcomer in its wake. The Marvel and Disney phenomenon crossed the $1 billion mark worldwide over the weekend and became the seventh highest, highest grossing domestic release with $562 million domestically. Not accounting for inflation, it has now passed the dark night. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about uh, Oprah Winfrey's uh, uh, recent collaborative project, uh, A Wrinkle in Time, which I went to, to see with my daughters this uh, past weekend. It's a PG-rated film, which costs about $103 million to produce, stars Oprah Winfrey, Reese Witherspoon. It got mixed reviews from critics. It's currently uh, at a, now this is the term they use, a rotten 44% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I guess that's a ranking scale. And the and audiences gave it a B cinema score. Engaging the long-term prospects of A Wrinkle in Time, a somewhat similar comparison could be Disney's, Disney's Tomorrowland, which was a PG-rated sci-fi pick with middle, 
middle reviews, middle range reviews, and a B Cinema score. And it opened to 33 million in early summer 2015 and went on to gross 93 million domestically. Tomorrowland, however, notably cost nearly twice as much to make as A Wrinkle in Time. And, you know, it's, um, yeah, I think it's timing of release. I mean, you're right now, I don't think Black Panther has peaked. And here you are sort of releasing. I think it was a strate- strategic decision to do that. But uh, it's... Uh, what was your daughter's reaction? Uh, she loved it. And I'm sort of, I'm a little mixed, but she loved it. You know, they both were wide-eyed while they watched it. And it was it was okay. You know, it was good to sort of um, uh, observe and talk about and process what we, what we all viewed after the movie was over. Excellent. That was a look at the African-American headline news from around the world for this week. Tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the African-American community. We want to know what you think of the current black issues. Send your comments to Bring It On at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Cornelius Wright. And I'm Clarence Boone. You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org.
Lord. You just heard Through the Storm, another classic from gospel singer Yolanda Adams. It is now time to bring you the events of interest in the black community. For Bring It On, I'm Cornelius Wright. And I'm Clarence Boone. Uh, and we'll do this sort of expeditiously here. Uh, next week, tune in to Bring It On. You're going to hear a very exciting uh, program that's going to talk about first-time home buying. And there's a, um, an event that's coming up on April 3rd. Uh, which is a Tuesday from 6 to 7.30 at Griffin Realty, which is First Time Home Buying 101. It's a crash course in purchasing your first home. It's hosted by Sarah Nuri from Gallery Mortgage and the Griffin Realty team. Again, that's Tuesday, April the 3rd, 2018, of course, uh, 6 to 7.30 p.m. The location is 735 South College Avenue here in Bloomington, and you can register on Facebook or call 812-323-7232. Again, 812-323-7232. And we have an event of interest for just a, I think black men especially, but for anyone, Black Men's Think Tank. It's going to be Saturday, April the 7th, 2018, and it's going to be at the University of Notre Dame. The guest speaker will be John Carlos, who was a 1968 Olympian and humanitarian for those of you who don't know or may not remember, John Carlos is one of the two athletes who, after winning a medal, uh, gave the Black Power salute with a glove on the Olympic stand back in 1968 in Mexico City. It'll be held in the DeHanke Ballroom at the Duncan Student Center at the University of Notre Dame. And you can register at bit.ly slash wabruda, W-A-B-R-U-D-A. If you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to thank Liz Mitchell, longtime Bring It On contributor and producer of the award-winning Dark Past Bright Future for joining us to elaborate more on the West Baden First Baptist Church renovation project. Donations are still being accepted to continue restoration of this important piece of Southern Indiana history. Your tax-deductible donation may be sent to um, West Baden Church Renewal Project, P.O. Box 2205, Bloomington, Indiana 47402. Again, P.O. Box 2205, Bloomington, Indiana 47402. Now, make checks payable to S.E.D., Repeat, S period, E period, D period. And in the memo line, write West Baden Church Renewal Project. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone with help from the WFHB News Department Director, Wes Martin. Our board engineer is Chris Martin. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Cornelius Wright. And I'm Clarence Boone. Tune in next Monday, March 19th at 6 p.m. to bring it on, where again we will host a panel discussion to educate first-time home buyers right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. 
The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.